Um, we're going to be looking at a couple different things this morning, and it's all centralized around like one main idea that I think is fairly familiar to all of us, but I uh, really appreciate the worship so far, really encouraging, and uh, I really like the song we just sang because that's kind of the whole point of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, not inherently but towards the end, that's kind of going to be the focus is about what we're doing as far as evangelism and what we're saying to other people and how we're trying to bring other people to Christ. But as Christians, we know we're to be like Christ. I mean, that's just the fundamental thing to be Christ-like. That's what it means to be a Christian. We, we get that. And so we think of a lot of different ways that we try to do that. We try to do that in our speech. We try to do that in how we respond to people, how we react to others and how we treat them. Um, all of his attributes and characteristics, we like we want to be like that. We, we understand that. And maybe even in status or in social standing, we want to say we want to be like Christ. Now, I don't want to be just like Christ, but I want to be Christ-like in that, in, in my humility and things like that. But there's one area that I'm not so sure if I always think I need to be like Christ in that. And that's in his like roles and the responsibility that they had. I mean, I can't be Christ. I can't be the Messiah or the Savior. But there are some things that I can be like him. For instance, one that is pretty popular that we understand is he was a light. He is a light. God is light. Jesus was light. He came and brought light. Well, what do we say we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be lights of the world, Matthew would say. But also we're supposed to be children of light, Ephesians 5.8 says. Jesus is also, also described as truth and as a teacher of truth. Well, we're supposed to do that, the same thing. We're supposed to be preach the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15 says, growing or becoming like Christ. So I thought of this uh, silly example or illustration, and um, I did not see the new Jungle Book movie um, because I don't want to ruin the old one for me. Uh, there's no way it can be any better or even near as good. So I didn't go see that, and also it... No, it just kind of creeped me out seeing the previews. No, it didn't creep me out, but I, I just didn't go see it. But, but I want you to think back to the original, right? Um, if you've seen that movie, you have this scene, my favorite scene, because it's just a lot of chaos going on, is you got King, uh, what was his name, Leo, right? Isn't that his name? Anybody remember? No, we'll say Leo. King Leo. And so he it like wants to be like the little boy, okay? So he keeps singing the song, and it's just like, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like I want to be just like you. It's impossible. He can't be like him. But that's not the case with us in Christ. It's not, it's not something like, I can't do that. I can do that. I can be like Christ. What I want to do is I want to focus on three ways that maybe seem impossible for me to be like Christ or for us to be Christ-like. But really, if we're going to be who we need to be today and affect people today, we have to strive to be just like him in these ways. So there's three ways are we're going to be like Christ as a prophet, a priest, and shepherd. I thought about having that be pastor and kind of go like with alliteration, prophet, priest, and pastor, but I would say shepherd because I just like that word a little bit better. And really what this is going to be centered around is how can we preach and teach and bring others to Christ in a way that is profitable instead of a way that seems to just fade away and instead of a way that seems to maybe be self-gratifying. How can we be like Christ in these three ways? So let's go to Hebrews. We're going to spend a little bit of time at the beginning in Hebrews. Then we're going to jump to the Old Testament, and then we're going to come back and we're going to go to the Gospels. So beginning in Hebrews, just to kind of make the point that Jesus was a prophet, we're going to begin in verse 1. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. 
The writer says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the, world, by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he starts out by saying, God speaks. That's just kind of an understanding. Like we need to know that God speaks and he speaks to people. He speaks to us. He speak, he's always spoken to people. He created man. He speaks to man. And to do that, it says that he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And he says, and similarly, I mean, very similarly, he has spoken in these last days by Christ. Jesus was a prophet in the same way they were, right? I mean, that's just the understanding we need to have. And also in John, we're not going to turn there, but in John 12, 49, 50, he says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Um, so what we see here is Jesus says, I am only speaking. Everything I say is only because that's what God, the Father, what his Father wanted him to say. Think back to the point of the prophets. We talked a little bit about this earlier. The point of the prophets was not just to prophesy about coming events. It was to proclaim the word of God. Uh, think back to those minor prophets. I mean, a lot of things were said to those people that weren't just about, hey, here's some bad things that are going to happen. It was, there was a message from God. Repent. Like, get, get, get right with God. What was Jesus' message? Yes, it was about the kingdom that was going to come. Yes, it was about things happening in the future. But really, at the core, it was about, this is the message of God. Repent. Get right with God. So in that way, are we to be like prophets today? And I, I would say yes. Uh, I don't have any amazing revelations to, or prophecies to give people, but we are, as Christians, are to be prophets in a sense that we are just like Christ. We say the things that he said. We say the things that are from God. Not to predict things for people, but to convict people, to cause them to repent. So maybe half of what a prophet was is what we are to be. We're not predicting the future unless it's given to us in, in the Word. But we are to convict people and say, you need to get right with God. The second thing that I mentioned is that Jesus was a priest and that we are to be priests as well. So let's go to uh, Hebrews 2. Maybe it's the same opening for you. Hebrews 2, just skipping down to verse number 17. It's very clear, very simple. Therefore, he, being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Later on in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, we would read in verse 14 to 15, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then we go through this whole thing in Hebrews 7 about this order of Melchizedek, which is like not really even found. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big deal in Scripture, at least in the Old Testament. There's this whole story, but it's not like a focal point necessarily. But now the writer of Hebrews brings it up to make this point. Jesus is different than those other high priests, than those other priests. 
And he's different in a much better way. And then we go on to Hebrews 9, and we read verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus Christ, he came and he's, he was a priest as well. Not in a way where he made all these different sacrifices for people because of their sins, whether yearly or anything like that. He's a high priest where he made himself be the sacrifice. And that's why he's better. And it was one time for all. We oftentimes will refer to ourselves as a royal priesthood. And I don't know what that makes you think of, but to me that makes me think of a burden to bear. Like, it's not just like, oh, this is a great thing that I am this. I'm so lucky that I'm, you know, part of this holy nation and a royal priesthood. There's a responsibility and a role that we are filling today by being priests, a Christian priesthood, priesthood, if you will. Not that there's clothing that we put on that says, oh, look, there's a priest. Or not that there's sacrifices we go and say, come on up and I'll make this sacrifice for you. But we clothe ourselves with purity. We clothe ourselves with Christ. And the sacrifices, maybe we would say we offer prayers for people. And we, and we try to bring them to God to make their life right. Kind of the same message of a prophet, the same uh, responsibility and role of a priest as well. It's all about getting right with God. And then the last one would be Jesus as a shepherd. So if you're still in Hebrews, go to Hebrews 2 again. And it doesn't say shepherd or pastor or overseer or anything like that. But I want you to look at the language of Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 15, and see if maybe you pick up on the same thing that I do, that really this is kind of showing Jesus as, as a shepherd in some way. So verse 10 of Hebrews 2, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell, you, tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil." and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So I think this is obviously like savior language, but it's also in some way shepherding language. The reason I say that is because if you look back, there's this idea of him becoming just as they were, right? Him becoming like us. A shepherd had to get down and get with the sheep. That's what he had to do. To be a true shepherd, he had to be with the sheep and just kind of, Maybe not necessarily get on the ground with them and crawl around, but you had to be right there in the trenches in the midst of them in order to really lead them and to guide them. That's what a shepherd did because he loved them. That's what Christ does for us. That's what he's done. But then as you go back and as he quotes it from, I think it's Isaiah 8, he says, I will put my trust in him. What does a sheep do for the, she- for the shepherd? Trust him fully. So what are we to do? What was Isaiah saying that they were to do for, in regards to Christ? put their trust in him. And then the next thing he says, behold, I, I and the children of God has given me. So in this prophecy about Jesus, potentially in Isaiah 8, there's this idea of he has been given children. Or maybe we would say he's been given a flock. 
And then as you go on, it says he shares in flesh and blood. He's partaking of the same things, and there's a reason. He's protecting us. He's protecting his people from the evil one. I remember hearing that what a shepherd would do uh, is that because there weren't necessarily always like fences around, for, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to put up a fence around the sheep. But they would find this kind of enclosed area maybe, and really what they would do is they would lie down at the entrance of that area wherever the sheep were. The shepherd didn't use a gate. The shepherd was the gate. You're not getting in. Wolves, you're not getting in. And you also had to go through all the sheep and make sure there wasn't any sort of other animal, there wasn't any problem or anything like that. That's what a shepherd did to watch out for the sheep. And that's what Christ does. So in that sense, he's a shepherd. But also, you probably know some other passages like John 10, where Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He says again later on, Luke verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and am known uh, and my own know me. And then again in 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So that's, what Je- that's who Jesus is. So how can I be like that? Well, I can't be like that in the sense that I'm going to necessarily lay down my life for them. That's not, it's not going to be the same result as what Christ did. But I can devote my life to service. And I can try to stand at the door when I feel like there's wolves that are coming in to influence and affect what other people believe. I can try my best to go through and try to lead and maybe corral people and say, okay, come on. And what's the whole purpose of that? Same with prophet, same with priest. Be with God. Walk with God. Get right with God. So I think that it's pretty clear that's who Jesus was. And as hard as it might be to think like I can be like Christ in those areas I think it's something that we find in the scripture and there's one aspect of these responsibilities that I want to focus on for the rest of our time you know all three of these roles like I said it's to say and communicate or help people get right with God really it's all about peace it's about getting them in a peaceful state with God getting them unified in fellowship with God so Jesus fulfills these roles by bringing us to God and making that path clear He made the path of peace clear to us. So what I want to do now is I want to go to the Old Testament. And I want to take a look at what prophets, priests, and even shepherds did back then. And see if maybe we can learn some lessons on how terrible they were, actually. So let's go over to Jeremiah. We're going to Jeremiah for a few passages. And then we're going to go to Ezekiel. Jeremiah and then Ezekiel. So in Jeremiah, we're going to begin in chapter 5. And again, just think of... They're, they were given the task to like guide people, to teach people, to bring them to God. They, they're supposed to be building this bridge between others and God, between the children of Israel and God. And, and they didn't do that at all, actually. In, in Jeremiah 5, we're going to go down to verse 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? So prophets and priests, you're saying what you want to say. You're, you're being guided by your own direction. And you're leading other people the way you want them to go. So what do you think is going to happen at the end? What is the judgment from God going to be? What's going to be based on your judgment? And that's not right. That's not going to turn out well for you. So the message to these people is shame on you. You know, not just shame on you, but you're going to pay for that. So we go on later in Jeremiah into chapter 23. 
see what else he says. Because really, you go through a lot of um, Jeremiah, but just a lot of, of the uh, Old Testament with the prophets. And, and they were convicting other prophets of doing wrong. So you go to Jeremiah 23, and we're going to begin in verse 28. In verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? I'm going to stop there because that sounds confusing and slightly silly to me. Um, if you have a dream, say the dream, but if you have my word, speak that faithfully. And then he asks this question, what has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Um... I'm not sure 100% what he means by this, but what I think he's saying is that uh, they might look or sound kind of the same, but they're very different. So what these prophets are saying sounds like stuff they've heard, and it sounds like it's coming from God, but it's not. They're telling all these dreams that are from themselves. So we go on, he says in verse 29, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Hey, don't, don't say that to these people, okay? I know, I know that's what God told you. I know you're supposed to say that, but no, no, no. That, that's not going to go over too well. You know, they're not going to like that. Uh, I don't like that, so don't say that. I think that's what was going on. He says, Behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So what they were doing is they were taking the words of God, and either they weren't saying them, and they were saying their own words, or they were spinning them. For some reason, either they thought that it was going to be more popular or it was going to accomplish something that they wanted. I don't know. But at the end of that passage, he says something that, that I, is kind of the basis for this whole lesson. This lesson is a little different for me. Usually I, I like to just go with the text and just like say, what does this text mean? But I, I came across this passage and I thought this was interesting. They do not profit this people at all. They're saying, declares the Lord, this is from God. But what they're saying is not profiting these people at all. So my question is, can we do the same today? Can we have something that's saying, declares the Lord, thus says the Lord, and yet we kind of spin it, or we don't say it. We say what we want to say, and yet we think it's helping people, and it's profiting them. But in all, in all honesty, it's not. It, it's causing them to go down the same path they're on, and at the end, when the Lord comes, they're going to be sitting there thinking, I thought this is what I was told to do. I thought this was what was right. This was from God. I remember he said, this is what the Bible said. And you know, on one level, it, it is on them for not investigating it and for not seeing what God says for themselves. But on another level, if I do that, not just shame on me, but I'm going to be condemned for that. I'm, I'm going to be held in judgment for that. I think the reason this strikes me is I don't like saying things to people that are unpopular, really. I mean, I can do it. And if I don't like that person, I can do it pretty easy. You know, I can say, hey, you know, well, you got to do this different, you know, or, well, you're just wrong. But other people, I don't want to do that. And it's not popular. I mean, think of in the workplace. And, you know, right now, this is one of the first times I've had this experience where you're in a workplace with a lot of people who believe, well, you don't know what people believe. I mean, because that's not a popular conversation when you're, you know, eating lunch. Be like, hey, by the way, what do you believe about the Bible? 
You know, it's normally like, man, this day is going rough, right? Mm-hmm. But, then, but then there's times where conversation comes up. And so are you going to get involved in that conversation or are you going to just bow out and be like, yeah, crazy? I'll give you an example. Someone the other day, uh, I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday, they made some comment about how um, uh, something about homosexuality in the Bible and how, yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that people from, uh, that are religious say is in the Bible that's not really there. And then that kind of led to them saying something about gambling. Or, or No, it was how silly Alabama, that's what it was. They were making fun of me because I'm from Alabama and Alabama didn't have a lottery or something like that. And uh, I just made the comment because actually I was like, well, actually you're right. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't mention lottery, you know. And I found myself wanting to like kind of go a little step further about some other things they had said. And I was like, but time to get back to work, I guess, you know. And that's, that's the temptation. That's the difficulty is like, Right there in that moment, could I have said some other things? Yeah. Um, would that have led people to Christ? I, I don't know. But it's in those moments that I find myself thinking, I could say this, but I don't know if I really want to say that. I kind of want to just brush it off, be like, yeah, Alabama, right? <laughs> or yeah, Donald Trump, crazy, right? That's kind of where it started was political discussion. And instead, what I ought to do is I ought to be confident, understanding that, Thus says the Lord, declares the Lord. Now, if I do that, will I be popular? Maybe not. Will I always feel like, oh, yeah, I have all these people around that love what I'm saying? Probably not. But, you know, I remember some prophets that weren't very popular with a lot of people. I remember some prophets that were killed or chased down. And then I remember Jesus himself as a prophet. And so he didn't have a luxurious lifestyle. He didn't have a bunch of friends. I mean, he had some friends, but he didn't have a bunch where it was like, everything he says, we just love it. No, they were like, I hate what he's saying. I don't want to hear that anymore. They tried to kill him on a couple of occasions, and then they did. So I think it's just a a very practical thing to think about, like, am I saying what God says when I have the opportunity? And am I saying it for the right reason to try to benefit and profit someone? Am I trying to build peace and, and build that bridge with others? Let's go over to Ezekiel 13. This is the last passage we're going to look at from the Old Testament, and then we're going to jump back over into the New Testament. Ezekiel 13, just verses 10 through 12. Beginning verse 10. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, and because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, saying to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a, a deluge of rain, or deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wind falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my, rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. What these people were doing is they were shouting peace. Everything's all good. Peace. It's okay. When there was no reason for them to say that. There was no peace to be found between them and God. Because they were wrong. Because they were led astray. What they needed to hear is repent. Get right. Be humble. Make sacrifices. Turn to the Lord. 
So what these people were doing, they were changing what God had said. They were telling others what they thought. And really they were taking advantage of people, saying that it was from God when it wasn't. And I think that on some level we see that today, and maybe we can be guilty of that. I can change what God says because it's not popular, because maybe I don't even like it. I can tell other people what I think. And that's, that's a real temptation for me because sometimes I just get caught up thinking that I really know what's right. And I really think I have a lot of wisdom at times. And I'm like, oh, this makes sense. Not everything logical is scriptural. I mean, it, it'd be nice if it was that way, but it's not the case. Sometimes there's just some facts and some principles that it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, this makes perfect sense. But it doesn't mean we don't say it. And the last thing is taking advantage of people with the gospel. I don't, I don't know if I know of anyone who's specifically done that, but people do that today. I, I've never known someone personally that I felt was doing that. But I know that it happens. And you probably all know some situations even in this area where that's happened a lot. But doing that isn't preaching Christ. Doing that isn't being a prophet like Christ or being a priest like Christ or shepherding people and trying to bring them to God. It's not doing that at all. So let's go over to Ephesians 2. Just a few more passages and then we'll wrap up. Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 14. It says of Jesus, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What's the mission of Jesus? What's his message? Peace. It's a mission of peace. It's a message of peace. But do you remember what Jesus himself said about himself in Luke 12? He said, do you think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And people are going to be set against their own family members. So how does that balance out? How does that make sense at all? That, hey, he came to bring peace, but he said himself he came to bring a sword. I think it balances out like this. Jesus' mission was to bring peace. But in doing so, in drawing that line of saying, you need to come to God, you need to be right with God, he, in essence, is drawing a line of separation. It's a sword. It's, it divides. Because there's going to be some people that pursue that peace and listen to it. And there's other people that don't, don't want anything to do with that. I think it looks like this today. I think you could have some people who you're sitting down and you're studying with, and you could say, hey, look, you know, this is what God says about marriage. Or this is what God says about lying or about whatever it might be. And you, know, and you just say, this is what, this is, d- declares the Lord. This is what God says. And some people say, yeah, yeah, I see that. It's peace to them. It's, that's what it's bringing to them. And other people are, are going to sit there and say, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, that's, it seems like your opinion. Immediately, right there in that moment, there's a line drawn. There's a sword. And I think that in a very real sense, what Jesus says in Luke 12 about the sword, we see play out in our families, which is the example he uses. You're going to have a brother against 
a sister. You're going to have a mother-in-law against a son-in-law and all this other kind of stuff. Because, some, because thankfully we have free will, some people are going to choose to pursue and to accept that peace. Other people aren't. And that sounds silly because like, who doesn't want peace? But if God's version of peace and how to be, in, be at peace with him doesn't match up with what they want to do, instantly it's a sword. Um, so there's one other passage I really want to go to, and that's in Luke 10. So th- this is before Jesus says, I came to bring a sword. He sends out the people, he sends out the apostles, and, and a lot of others, because it says he sent out a little over 70 people. And he tells them that you're going to go into these towns and these cities, and this is what you're going to say, beginning in verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And then you go down, and he says, verse 8, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your, of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So what's the message that he wants these people, and really us, to go out and say? Peace. That, that needs to be the mindset, the approach, the heart that we have when we go to people, when we're trying to teach people. When we're just out there living the way we're living, it's not to divide, it's to, it's to bring peace. But whenever you do that, there will be times where you just have to understand that, hey, people aren't going to accept it, right? People don't want it. People aren't, I mean, as great of a thing as it sounds, some people just are not going to want to follow that. So when that happens, you have to have the same attitude. You do what you can, and you just let them know the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let them know that I try, I'm trying to bring peace. I'm trying to, trying to help with that. But then you go on. Because he says, verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, which is a scary thing. It's terrible. So as we enter into this town and this city on a daily basis, we need to be thinking about bringing peace to people. And I think that that message or that mindset is something that maybe, maybe should, it ought to really help our interactions with others. Think about the people who are out there that, haven't seen family in years. Think about the people out there that they don't have a place, they, they legitimately do not have a place to lie their head down at night other than on some land somewhere or just some random spot. Think about the people who are out there that, you know, they can eat, but it's not the kind of food that any of us would choose to eat. But that's what they do. What kind of peace is that? If I try to bring peace to those people, then... I would, I would like to think that I'd like to think that maybe some of them would accept it. But then there's a flip side. Think about those people who their life is chaotic and everything's all about work and oh, I got all this stuff going on and everything's just crazy and it's all about getting more and getting more money and getting more status and everything like that. Where's the peace in that lifestyle as well? And the interesting thing to me is that like I could try to bring peace to them through Christ as well. But what I need to focus on is it's not what I say, it's not what I think, it's what God says and what he thinks. I was reminded of what we read in Matthew as Jesus begins 
one, you know, one of his, one of the great sermons that he gives. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, why do you think we'll be called sons of God if we are a peacemaker? And again, maybe, maybe what he, one way he's talking about that is like, hey, don't be one that divides. Be someone to try to bring people together. But really, I think that he's saying bring people to God. Build that bridge. Don't, don't put up other fences and try to offend others. Just try to build that fence that, that, or that bridge that brings them to God. So I think that's how we're peacemakers. So how, how am I a son of God when I do that? What was Jesus' purpose? He came to bring peace. He came to, to make the path clear between us and God. So if I do that, then I'm, I'm being, I will be able to be called a son of God. And lastly, just to kind of wrap up, because I think that, you know, I've already touched on some ways that this might apply to us. I just want to wrap up by reading something that it was actually from the reading uh, this morning, and that's in Luke 1. This is part of Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. So he has this prophecy, he has this, these words that are coming from God, filled with, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 67. And just listen to the things that he says about John and think, could I be like that? Not, not to prepare the way of Christ because he hasn't come, but maybe to prepare other people for when he comes back. Because that, that that's kind of a very similar message. It's not like, hey, Jesus is coming, the kingdom is coming. It's, hey, Jesus is coming back, the kingdom is here. So he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people and, he has, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the, from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So is that you as well? Not, not that this prophecy is about you. This prophecy is about John. But can that be said of you and me? That I give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, spiritually, more than likely, I mean, that's what we're talking about, a spiritual death, and to guide others, to guide people's feet to the way of peace. That's going to look a lot different for each of us. How you, how you do that exactly, I don't know how that plays out perfectly in, in your life. But I know that if I want to be considered a Christian, i got to be Christ-like. So there's three areas. He's a prophet, he's a priest, and he's a shepherd. I need to be like that as well. In, in whatever way I can, I need, to, I need to be able to tell people, thus declares the Lord. This is what God says. I also need to try to help people understand, like, this is what God says, and I want to help you make this right. And then the last one is the shepherd idea. I need to try to protect others. I need to try to guide them. You have to be so tender and patient with people sometimes. But if you have the mindset that it's all about bringing peace for them, it's all about bringing light to them because they're in darkness, not only is it worth it, but it helps you understand how, how hard it must have been for God to do that with us.
So then we appreciate the peace that he's made with us through Christ even more. So again, I don't know what that looks like on your, in your day-to-day life, but I think that in this city and in you know, the time and the day and age we live in, we got to be preaching peace to people. Not just so it's like the whole idea of like tickling their ears because they'd like to hear it, but because they need it. And that peace might sound harsh at times, but if we bring that to them out of love, just trying to help them, then that's all we can do. And then we have to count on God. We have to just rely on him to, to give the increase in all things. So I would say that this next week, I'm going, to do, I'm going to try to do a better job of preaching peace and bringing peace to people in whatever way I can, whether it's my coworkers, whether it's my fellow brothers and sisters, whether it's some random person I see when I'm out to eat or something like that. Just, just be a peacemaker. Uh, that's what Jesus wants for us, and that's how we're more like him and we can be a son of God. And if there's anyone here today, we, we sing a song that... It's not just for an invitation, but it's also to kind of just say if you have some sort of need where you need help, prayers, whatever, um, you can do that at any time. But right now is a good time where you can make that known to the group and we can pray and we can help you in whatever we can. Uh, and again, it's all, it's all about trying to build that bridge, bridge between us and God and make peace. So we'll sing the song now and you have that time. <laughs>